Good morning, everybody. If you could, please open with me to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, as Fred mentioned, they are in the seat back in front of you. And you can take that home if you don't have a Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're gonna, where we're going to be picking up this morning is verse 14. Uh, in the first 13 verses of chapter 2, Paul reminds Timothy of what it means to be faithful to the call of God upon his life. How many of you have struggled with faithfulness in what God has called you to be? Um, you know, as, as trials come and things abound, you get kind of moved off to one side or the left or uh, one side or the other, and you get kind of um, just sabotaged. And, you know, Timothy was facing a lot at this time. And as we've gone over, because of the imprisonment of Paul, Paul's in prison for the second time. He's about to die. Um, and the unfaithfulness of those who had been following him in Asia, they're now abandoning Paul in droves because of this. Um, Timothy was facing increasing pressure to stop being the man of God, God called him to be. When everybody else around him was abandoning their post, was also putting pressure on him to change and to compromise who he was supposed to be and what he was supposed to do. Uh, there was a lot of pressure and Paul realized this, that this was what Timothy was facing. And so although others were abandoning uh, the gospel because of the suffering that was starting to come, there's persecution from Rome starting to come about and a lot of other things. Uh, Paul encouraged Timothy to be faithful to the call. And that's kind of the, the theme of second Timothy. A lot of it is be faithful to the call, be faithful in the face of suffering, be face, faithful in the face of false teaching, be faithful in, the, in, in, uh, in the face of your own inadequacies and your own tendencies, be faithful to the call of God. And we, we know that Philippians says that it's actually God who calls us to will and to do. And so just lean into the Lord. Don't abandon what God's called you to do. And I think this is a message for the church at these times where we are facing um, uh, increasing opposition to be quiet, increasing opposition to go to the side, to go along with the flow, to change what the Bible says to match with culture. No, <laughs> just honor the Lord, love the Lord. And we're going to see how Paul is, 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 is reaching into Timothy's heart. And this time he says, listen, Timothy, continue on. There's a, there's a reason for this. Okay. I don't want to get into my message already, but as we look over the bat first 13 verses, which I went over last week, we see that encouragement to persevere, encouragement to persevere uh, in, in, in the first verse, uh, Paul encourages Timothy. If you're just looking on your Bible, follow along with me. In the first verse, Paul, uh, Paul says to Timothy, Hey, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And we talked about that, the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. He tells him to be strengthened in the grace. And then secondly, after you're strengthened in the grace, he says, continue to entrust the word of God to faithful men who are able to teach others. Also, there were people who were abandoning, uh, who weren't unfaithful men and faithful to the gospel and faithful to the message. And God says, now go train up others who are going to be faithful. Stick to it, Timothy, get back at it. Be strengthened in the grace and go do it. And then verse three through seven, Paul encourages Timothy by giving three different pictures of what it's actually like to follow Christ in difficult times. And he goes suffer as a soldier as a good soldier. And then secondly, it was an athlete. And then thirdly, it was a farmer. And in those pictures we saw in verses three, four, three and four, just the, to, the call to suffer as a soldier, a soldier uh, who is faithful 
to the commanding officer who's not um, derelict in his duty, who's not going off and get involved in civilian affairs. I mean, I lived in San Diego and so the Marine base, there's a lot of things going on. And one of the things was, you know, you'd be driving down the highway and all of a sudden there'd be, you know, some guy in a spiked helmet doing wheelies at 90 miles an hour down the, you know, down the highway. And you're going, yeah, that's a Marine, you know, <laughs> and you know, they're, they're trained for war and all this kind of stuff and they've got to get it out somewhere. But you know, if their commanding officer saw that, They'd just be like, what are you doing? So don't, Timothy, don't do wheelies at 90 miles an hour down 78. That's just not what it's called. Be faithful. Be pleasing to your command, your enlisting officer. In verse five, there's an example of an athlete. You got to play according to the rules that are set out for you. You can't win a gold medal if you cheat and all this type of stuff. And so there's a prize at the end, but it's a hard endurance. There's things that are pressing upon you on all sides, but in the end, there's a reward. And then in verse six, a hardworking farmer is one who is faithful. You know, the mundane tasks of life and ministry, the things God has called us to, they're not always glorious. You know, it's like for me to be at this moment, there's a lot of things that went behind all of this, a lot of people involved, all that kind of stuff, mundane, difficult tasks, head spinning stuff. As Cherry and Alex say amen this morning, working on the video stuff, you know, and John and everybody else. I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? Farming is not, is not the easiest thing, but the harvest is coming. It's worth it. And Paul says the, the farmer gets the first fruits. Hang on, Timothy. The idea here is faithful to Jesus in difficult times. Now he says in verse seven there, Hey, go ponder these things, Timothy. And and you were supposed to ponder these things this week. I know you did, but know that the reward's worth it. Hopefully the Lord spoke to you on that. But then in verses eight through 13, Paul reminds Timothy most likely of a song or a saying, and it has two parts. It talks about the faithfulness of God is the overall theme, but he says, God is going to be faithful to those who are faithful to him. And the idea is that if you die, He'll give you life. If you suffer, you will reign. God will be faithful in that. And so the church, the early church most likely had a song because a lot of them were facing death. But it also said in the second part that if we are unfaithful, you know, if we don't, if we're not faithful to God, God is faithful to abandon us. Isn't that wild? That God is faithful always. He can't become unfaithful. He's faithful to who he is. He rewards those who follow him in faith and he abandons those who are unfaithful. And that's the believer and the unbeliever. That's the idea. I know there's a lot there and I probably just created controversy, but we can talk about that later. But as we pick up this morning, Paul gives Timothy a series of commands after that call to faithfulness, he just keeps calling him over and over to faithfulness. If he's having this kind of conversation with a pastor, what do you think the church is going through? You know what I'm saying? Timothy, come on, stay faithful, man. I know everything's falling apart around you. Stay faithful, stay faithful because the church is struggling to be faithful in these times. That's what was going on. And Paul gives Timothy a series of commands here as we pick up this morning in verse 14 to continue to be faithful and so in the theme of faithfulness, the, the, the idea is we want to be vessels of honor. We're going to get into this vessels of honor used for the Lord in this time. God has created you for this season, for this time, for his glory, for his purposes. And your 
purpose is met, is found in him. And so in verse 14, Paul starts and he says, remind them of these things. He comes out of that uh, uh, talking about faithfulness is remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does, does no good, but only ruins the hearer. Now the context here is that Paul back in verse two had been told be strengthened in the Lord. Verse one, verse two. Now go and trust the word to faithful men who are able to teach. And I think that's who he's talking to about here. He says, now go tell them, remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no one good, but only ruins the hearer. And what had been happening is the false teachers had been coming up and whatever they were teaching was leading to arguments within the church. They were quarreling about words and myths were coming up. We're going to find out what those things actually were. At least one of those things were, but uh, these men were to be warned and they were to be charged before God. Listen, when you're teaching, you're not to engage in this other stuff. The false teachers are going after because it's ruining the sheep. It's messing with them. Now, Paul says, in training these leaders, he reminds them to be faithful to God and to the call. So the same thing that Timothy was reminded of, he now reminds those he was now leading. And again, these false teachers had a pretty good foothold on many, as we discussed in first Timothy and in Titus. And there was an emphasis on strange interpretations of scripture, strange interpretations of scripture. And, and this resulted in quarreling about words. And Paul said it ruined the hearer. Now, we might uh, not know the exact heresies they're sweeping through the church back then, but we know the same results happen now when pastors and teachers and leaders get off of just simply teaching the word simply and get into weird stuff, leading people into weird stuff. And the result of being under right teaching of, of the word, it's going to result in, this is back from our teachings in first Timothy and Titus, it's going to re result in a love for God and a love for one another. That's what it's going to result in. Love for God is not a, is not an undefined thing. It's obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to obey my command. And then he goes, and this is my command that you love one another. How? As I have loved you with a sacrificial love, with a love that is for that person in mind, uh, with their needs in mind. That's, that's the idea there. It's not an ambiguous. And, and by the way, uh, you know, love for God, you know, God loves us. It's not this nebulous love that anything goes. No, it's a defined love. It's a holy love. It's a sanctified love. It's a purely defined love there in scriptures. And we've taught about that in the past, but really the result of, if, if we're under the word here, it's going gonna, it's gonna to lead us to teach us. It's going to convict us in our hearts about how we don't love God and how we don't love one another on the one hand. Anybody walk away from the word like I do? Cut. Yeah, it's like, ouch, that hurt. That was convicting. And then on the other side, it's like, well, that's, that's also encouraging. You, you're encouraged to do those things. It heals us and it puts us in the right direction. It points us in where we're to go. And so we obey and we follow the Lord and it's manifested in love and love towards God, which is obedience and love towards one another, which is good works. Make sense by our actions. And so I lost my spot here. Give me a second here. 
the fruit of what is taught is very important to Paul. It's really important because we don't want God to be misrepresented, but glorified. And we certainly don't want the hearer to be ruined, but rather edified. And that's the idea. And so Timothy was reminded was to remind these leaders of what Paul reminded him, right? Faithfulness to God, faithful in the word, faithful to the ministry God's entrusted you to. And that goes for us too, as a church. Yeah. There's greater demand if whom God has given more, but that doesn't, you know, uh, let everybody off the hook. And we, we, we want to follow the Lord Jesus in these days, in this time. Amen. God has given you a ministry. God has given you a call to faithfulness to his word. God has given you a, a, a war to fight, a, 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 an athletic event to win, a farm to farm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> He's put this in front of you. And so we are called to be faithful. And then Paul says in verse 15, he said in, the, in this context is do your best to present yourself to one, uh, to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. How many of us have heard this verse before? How many of you have heard it with in do you, how many of you remember this verse, but you forget the context. I did when I read it, I'm like, Oh yeah, we got to rightly handle the word of word of truth. But I forgot the context is the mishandling of it before and after that's what's going on here. You know, if you're a leader in a church, you probably have heard this, but how many of us know this verse and remember this verse, but we forget the context. And that's ironic because that's probably not handling the word of truth correctly, right? Like you gotta, oh yeah, the context here. The context here is that there was an epidemic of leaders, spiritual leaders who were mishandling the word of God. That's what was going on in, in, in Paul's day. They were abandoning Paul. They're going after strange things. They were teaching weird stuff and the church was ending up ungodly. And so they were wrongly dividing the scriptures. They were wrongly handling the word of God. And because of this, there were demonic doctrines that were being instituted in the church being brought before people. And instead of loving God and loving one another, people's passions were being inflamed and people were starting to follow after sensuality and all this weird stuff. The paganism mixed with, with, Christian culture. And Paul says to Timothy, man, you do your best to be one approved of God. And the implication here is that those who mishandle the word in positions of leadership are not approved by God. So you do your best to handle it correctly. And the word approved there has the idea of being proven. That's through testing that there are circumstances, there's pressures on you to, to mishandle it. Do you, do, do, how many of us have been in a situation where we were in some meeting at, at work and they tell us something that is totally contrary to the word of God. And we just kind of go, you know, they throw out a verse or whatever it might be. And we kind of go, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, the pressure's there. How much more pastors who want to have money need to mishandle uh, the verses of the word of God to get you so I can get my Learjet. Right? Yes. But the implication here is that those who are, who are mishandling the word of God are not approved of God. And the word approved has the idea of being tested. Timothy was under pressure and it doesn't make it easy 
for Timothy, that Timothy would have to stay faithful to the word in the midst of the fire around him and the pressure to make it say what it doesn't say. That's what he he's being pressured to do is to take the word of God and make it say what it doesn't say. When it comes to human sexuality, for example, there's a pressure to make it say what it doesn't say. Or when it's talking about roles of men and women to say what it doesn't say. Or when it talks about the definition of love or the definition of grace to make it say what it doesn't say. Or excusing pride or excusing all this kind of stuff to make it say that, you know, God's sign of blessing upon you is that you are materially wealthy. You are happy physically. You've got all those things going on for you. That is, that is God's sign of blessing. Is that what you see happen to Jesus? Is that what you see happen to the apostles? Is that the example that was set in scripture? No, they take the verses that people want to hear and they twist it so that you'll come and they can reap from it. That's what's going on. There's a temptation. And let me say that that's a sign of a faithful minister. Let's say a faithful Timothy is one who sticks to what God says. No, not what people wanted to say, including themselves. That's a hard task. You know, there are things in here when, when you look at the word of God, like say, when I'm studying the word of God, it convicts me too. You know, it's, it's cutting me too. And I can't pretend like it doesn't. That's why I don't sit up here and preach down to you. I preach, you know, it, it's, it's, we get, I get cut too, but it's a good cutting. And, and let me say that this is also a sign of a faithful believer, not only a faithful minister, but a faithful believer, the desire to take God's word for what it says. How many of you open the Bible? Let's just say, and you just want to find something to validate where you want to go and you go find that verse, but you find out that it's not saying that, but you make it say that I've been guilty of that. Anybody else? I remember I was first like 20 something years ago when I, 1998 or whenever that is, um, you know, when I first started having chronic daily headaches that haven't gone away, I found all the verses and Psalms about healing and the Bible and scriptures and all that stuff. And I claimed them all. Anybody else have issues? They claim them all. No, but I did not like the ones that were talking about suffering. I didn't like the ones that talk about uh, maturity and, and, and God using difficult circumstances to develop character and faith, which is more precious than, you know, our world's values and all that stuff. I like to skip over those ones at the time. And maybe, you know, Hey, in my weakness, he is made strong. Ah, let's not do that. So it's a sign to also a faithful believer. When you open the word of God, you are not reading into it. You're letting it read you. You're letting it read what it says and, and you conform to it. You don't conform it to you. It's the whole difference between false religion and the true religion. 
Religion is always twisting God to man. But the word comes to us and it speaks to our heart and it calls us to him. And he gives us the strength to change. But Timothy was to rightly handle and divide the word of truth. And notice the word is the word of what? It's the word of truth. That's what it is. We're handling the word of truth and God. What God says is true. He is the source of all truth. You want to know what is true about anything. Find out what he says about it. He's the spirit of what? Truth. Jesus came full of grace and truth and grace. <laughs> but because men's hearts are wicked are in our depravity, we have a propensity to exchange the truth of God for a lie. We have to, ex- we have to exchange the truth of God for a lie to make false religion out of true religion. So brothers and sisters, don't listen to me or anyone else to make you feel good. To make you hear what you want to hear. But be lovers of the truth. Be a Berean. Open up that word and find out if what Pastor Matt says is true. Find out with that person you're listening to if it's truly what it says. Yeah. Be lovers of the truth, even when it cuts to the heart, as the word often does, it cuts and it heals. It's a sharp sword, but it's also sweet as honey, isn't it? Amen. So Timothy was charged in the face of all these false teachings. Hey, you be faithful. Don't go off on all these other paths. Don't do that. And so Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, but avoid verse 16. You do that. And this is what you need to not do, but avoid a reverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. And among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. Oh, he's naming names who will have, who have swerved from the truth. How many of you have departed or have left or something like that in your translation? It's not swerved like, ah, you know, I swerved. It's like abandoned is the idea there. Swerved through truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. So that was one of the heresies that was popping up there. And so Paul brings to light two men who had followed him in Asia, were part of his ministry, apparently who became unfaithful, who had mishandled the word of truth, who were making it say something that it didn't say. Hymenaeus and Philetus, they were promoting a reverent babble, whatever that was. And Paul says their talk, their teaching was spreading like gangrene. Gangrene, I guess, is not a good thing. How many of you, you know, frostbite, and then he turns gangrene, whatever that is, and you lose limbs. Well, that's what happens to the church. But because what they taught was leading people into godliness, Paul like just shoots something across the bow. Man, these two guys, watch out for them. They're like the ones you got to watch out for. By the way, back in chapter one, he names two other guys, Phygelus and Hermogenes. And now there's Hymenaeus and Philetus. They're added to the list. And so when Paul said all that in Asia had abandoned him, there's a lot of leaders that are abandoning Paul. But not only Paul, they're, they're starting to teach weird stuff. It wasn't something minor, by the way, they were teaching that the resurrection had already happened. Now, 
We don't know exactly what that was talking about, but my guess is if you flip over to second Thessalonians chapter two, Paul is writing in second Thessalonians chapter two, verse one, he says now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him. And, and many people, this is, they believe this is speaking of the rapture. Some people have a different interpretation, but this is obviously if you're being gathered together to God, that's a resurrection, Right. So now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you brothers not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word. So anything going on in the service where someone says, thus saith the Lord, Jesus has already done. The resurrection has already happened. It was like, Oh no. Says, listen, Don't be shaken or alarmed in mind. None of that stuff, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. He says, no one deceive you in any way for that day will not come. And then Paul goes into a big teaching on what's going to precede the coming of the Lord because there was false teaching coming on. And so he teaches them. And so my guess is that similarly, these two guys were teaching. There was some kind of resurrection that happened. And because there's Gnosticism involved, it was probably maybe some kind of spiritualized version of the resurrection. And the result of all this verse 18 uh, at the end of verse 18 says, they are upsetting the faith of some. And that word upsetting means that people are no longer believing or they hadn't already. But Paul counters that and says in verse 19, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The firm foundation here is the church. Listen, the church stands. Those who are true believers, they stand. I think that's what this is talking about. It says they, and they have the seal. The church has the seal. The Lord knows who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And so the overarching truth here is that God knows who are truly his. That's the benefit of being God. How many of you kind of go, I don't know if that person saved or not. Well, God knows. So how can we tell who's saved or not, or have a clue on that? Well, the second part of that, we don't have the sovereign knowledge of God about person's salvation, but we sure do know that those who are the Lord's have departed from iniquity. They're ones who are leaving darkness and going towards light. It does not mean that we do not sin. First John, we know about this, right? He says he's without sin lies. Of course we sin, but it's not that we are. That's not our life. When we sin, we confess and we follow Jesus. That's the idea. And Hymenaeus and Philetus were leading people into sin and into vision, into vision, into ungodliness. And that's a big indicator that they were not true believers, but they were having an influence on those who were. And that's important. And so Paul gives Timothy an illustration as a call to holiness and faithfulness for him and all the believers in the church. Listen, when there's confusion in the church, Paul wants to bring clarity. He does things that are simple. He says, listen, God knows those who are this, his and an indicator that you would know who are his man, are people departing sin and following after God? That's an indicator. Of someone who's been in right relationship with God. And then he goes on. He says, but there's, and the idea here is that, but there are people who are saved, who are being influenced by this stuff and are starting to go astray. That's the context here as there is in this room. 
as there is in all of our hearts. We've got some people calling us and pulling us and moving us in different directions. The enemy is at work. But here's the thing in verse 20, Paul says now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay and some honorable use and some dishonorable use. So the great house here is probably, he's just still talking about the church. I think he's still talking about the church, the great house and listen in God's house. There's a bunch of vessels and vessels are the people of God in the church. This is my interpretation of this. But the great house here is most likely the church, all believers, and we are the vessels that God uses. And what Paul is pointing out here is that some of the vessels have become dishonorable. Some of the vessels have become dishonorable because they were becoming ungodly by listening to these turkeys. Right? I think that's the, that's the thing. And when that happens, when there's a lack of holiness and faithfulness and purity in their lives, what happens They become unusable. How does that sit with us? And so Paul calls Timothy and the church to holiness, to faithfulness, to repentance. In some cases, Timothy, are you one of those guys that's leaning towards dishonorable use? Are you leaning into Perhaps, perhaps not handling the word of God correctly, perhaps, perhaps not fanning the flame that God has given you or kind of backing away from the things. Are you kind of pulling away from what God has called you to? What about the people in the church who are being picked off by this stuff? And so Paul says, man, no, listen, there's a, there's a, God has a house. There's honorable vessels and then there's honor, you know, there's dishonorable vessels. So what happens there? Therefore, verse 21, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Amen. Amen. Don't we all want to be used by the Lord? Yes. And so he'll be a vessel for honorable use set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So God desires to use us. He desires to use you. Do you know that God didn't save you to sit? But the problem is that some of us have become disobedient, have become unholy, have therefore become unuseful by God. Now, how many of you want to look at that and go, no, God just uses us no matter what his grace. Just we can be saved, but not operating in what God has called us to be and to do. Do you, do we know that? I mean, just think of it in our normal lives. How many of you have kids? Yeah. How do we, you know, do we just entrust them with, with things when they aren't showing themselves honorable. I mean, there's a certain level of love that's there. They're always going to be our kids, right? But if there's a lot of dishonor going on there, you're not going out here, take something that's precious and go have fun. How much more a holy God who actually can read into our hearts and listen, his desire isn't to keep us on the shelf. His desire is to draw us to himself. And so that we would be used in his kingdom. So we have the problem of, in the church, in us, in me and you of, of, of the potential of becoming dishonorable, unholy, 
unuseful to God. And so those believers are called here to repent. That's what this is to turn away from sin and, and our, the synchronization with the world and to turn back to following after Jesus back to keeping in step with the spirit of God calling us to repent. Now, right now you're sitting here and you might be going, man, I, I'm not being used by God. Now there could be just, you just have a poor, a bad understanding of what's going on. You need to be in the context of the body and they can speak truth in those situations. But some of you know, God's got you on the hot seat, right? And you know, he's got you on the hot seat and the hot seat isn't to make you stay in the hot seat. It's to move you off of it, <laughs> to move you towards him. And so those believers are called here to repent and to turn back. And this is why some believers are, are powerless and useless and are without meaning and purpose because apart from him, we can do what? Nothing. I am the vine. You are the branches. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, but abide in me and let my word abide in you. Ask what you want. I'll do it for you. Come back. Amen. But through Christ, we can do all things for his glory. And so Paul says, cleanse yourselves. Now, real quickly, we know we can't cleanse ourselves in the sense of taking away our own sins. That's not what, not what Paul's talking about. It's this is code for repent. Make sense. God is the one who cleanses. He's always the one who cleanses. And we know first John one nine says, if we confess our sin to God, that's my big duty. Confess my sin to God. And by the way, who's convicting me over my sin to begin with? God, who's leading me to repentance? God. Who's allowing circumstances to become difficult and increasingly hot seat ish in our life to get you to confess God because he loves us. And then when we confess, he says, I don't want to ruin the verse. If we confess our sin, he is what he's faithful and just to cleanse us. And forgive us of some unrighteousness. Oh, all unrighteousness. I got that wrong. I was mishandling the word. I'm so glad you got it. All unrighteousness. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. We confess like fine China that was being used as a cat dish. Dishonorable use. I know. How do you think God feels about it? take that fine china off the floor and he cleanses us, makes us sparkly clean. And he begins to use us again for his service. And that's the beauty when we're singing about the blood of Jesus Christ this morning, how precious and how holy he is. This is the business he's in. He loves us with a fierce love. He draws us to himself. Listen, the same way we came to him by grace is the same way we continue in him is by grace. It's awesome we're usable again. Church, I want us to be used by God. I don't want us to come in here and sit on a Sunday and leave and live a lifeless life in existence and think that's what God has for you. No. He bought you. He brought you into his house. You're not moving out by the way. But do you want to be used by God? Cleanse yourself. Me too. Cleanse ourselves. Call it like it is. Come to Jesus again and say, Lord, use me.
forgive me. And he'll show you, turn from it and turn towards God to be used again. And so Paul charges Timothy in verse 22. He says, no, what does that look like for Timothy and those young guys and everybody else in the church? So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. A couple things we do in cleansing ourselves. We flee youthful passions. And this is just a catch-all for all the things that catch youthful people (laughs) that we're all prone to, right? And so there's sexual morality, there's pride, there's covetousness, there's just all this kind of stuff that goes on. You guys know. Just flee that stuff. Well, it's not just, hey, run away. It's run to something. Pursue righteousness, right? Living before God, right? Living before man. Faith. I mean, this is in this sense, faithfulness. That's kind of the idea. Pursue faithfulness. Be faithful to God. Integrity in what you do, right? Faith, love. Agape, that sacrificial love that God had towards us. Live it out towards, with, towards God and one another. And peace, pursue the peace of God that we would have harmony as best as it is for, for all of you be at peace with all men. Do your best to be at peace with everybody. Amen. Without sacrificing truth. That's the idea there. And Paul goes on. If Timothy was to be, and if we are to be vessels of honor used for God church, verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish or ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the idea is, just stay away from the weird stuff. Stay away from the false doctrines. I mean, how many of you have had enough like foolish controversy, foolish, ignorant controversies over the last two years? Anyone? Yeah. Just, let's just abandon that stuff. Let's just stop focusing on that stuff and focusing on the Lord. Verse Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21 says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. So we're to test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil, form of evil. Okay. Foolish controversies, all that kind of stuff. Let's just work in our hearts to just have a, a mindset of we're not going to go down those paths. We're going to there's enough that God has for me in the major categories to fill my life with change forever. But we're to test what it's taught, what is taught. We're to abstain from every form of evil, right? So stay away from all that weird stuff. And the reason is that the controversies just breed quarrels like rabbits of quarrels. They had just tons of quarrels. Verse 24 and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And the idea here is we don't quarrel people to Christ. Anyone else? But we also don't abandon the truth. We don't quarrel people into the kingdom. Amen. Amen. So we have to minister in a way that honors the Lord. So Timothy needed to be reminded of that, that these false teachers, what they were teaching, were leading people into controversies and quarrels. Don't do that. Timothy don't raise up leaders who quarrel and all that stuff. But the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Timothy, you don't be quarrelsome. you be kind and, and, and you're not to abandon truth. You're not to stop communicating boldly. This is not a call not to speak truth into a dark world. That is not what it's saying here. It's saying how you do it matters. How you do it matters. 
And he says there with kindness or meekness. So as vessels of honor, there's to be a grace in our truth. Amen. Some of us need a little more truth in our grace. Some of us need a little more grace in our truth. I won't mention any names. So Timothy as a servant of the Lord, as a leader in the church, and those who would be raising up to be a vessel of honor of the Lord, they were to be kind, able to teach. And so there's a kindness behind what is teaching. Lord, there's a fruit of the spirit. There's a humility, a meekness there. And he needs to be able to teach. The idea is here is to be able to paint a picture of the truth with the people he's communicating to. It's not just here. It's in one-on-one communications and in, in interactions and all that kind of stuff. So in a way that the listener can understand and to patiently endure evil means that you need to realize that being a Christian in a dark time, in a dark culture, you're going to be engaging with evil and it's not going to be right. And it's not going to be just, and we are to patiently endure through that knowing that God is just in the end, but also that those people were just like us. Anyone forget that we forget, like they're so lost. Why are they acting lost? I'm so tired of their lostness. Hello. Yeah. That's why God just like popped us into the room with them. Hello. You're supposed to be long, long suffering, patient, kind. Does it remind you of anyone the way he was with us and the way he is with us? Amen. Patiently enduring evil. And as vessels of honor, Timothy and the church were engaged in correcting opponents. So he says, gently correcting those with false views. Listen, when someone speaks something that is, you know, it's not that we're on everybody for everything that is said, but when there's something that's blatantly false, like say if I'm in a, a small group and there's something that's said that people all shaking their heads to, it's like, yeah. And that's like, not what the scriptures say. We gently kind of correct that, right? We don't smack and embarrass someone. We just kind of say, well, that's kind of not what it says. This is, this is what it says. It's hard, but we have to do that. We have to do it in the spirit of gentleness, right? Because we don't abandon the truth over you know, someone's feelings, but we want to do it in a way that's kind. And that is something I I've got to work on, but in a vessel of honor, Timothy, and they were engaging, correcting opponents. And then continually to the, the end of verse 25, Paul says there was to be this kindness and patient endurance that guess what? God might, may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do as well. We have to remember, listen, we don't know what God's doing in someone's heart. And God could be using us. God could use us. And if we just abandon things now, we got to be wise. You know, God says, don't give pearls to swine. So there's a lot of discernment that needs to happen there, but you know, quite often we don't understand who the swine are and what the pearls is and all that kind of stuff. So we just, God's put people in our lives to influence, patiently endure, continue to be God, um, God-like and patient and loving and kind the way he was with us. And perhaps God is going to grant them repentance. How many of you were one of those people that perhaps you got granted repentance? You were obstinate towards God. You were, you know, you're one. Yeah. Okay. One hand. All right. So <laughs> she's like, <laughs> it's a cross section. We know all of you were right, but maybe God's going to do something there. Paul says there in verse 26, maybe God will save them. And maybe they're going to come to their senses. Maybe they're going to escape the snare. Listen, they're 
captured by the enemy. They're snared by the enemy. There's a devil who has them in their hands and their clutches. Ephesians two prince of the power who's at work in the sons of disobedience. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Amen. He came through and broke through. Well, how did he do that? Man, he uses the church. He uses us. We who've received the grace. It's amazing. And God called Timothy in the church to engage with the lost. I'm skipping through something here, some things here, but church this morning, we are, we are called to be those vessels, those vessels of honor. And I'm not looking at anyone going, Oh, you're dishonorable. That's not, I, not God, but I want to be used by God. And you might be sitting there. Well, you are being used by God. No, like, like more fully. Amen. Anyone else? There's things that God's calling us to, but listen, he doesn't use an unholy person. He doesn't use an unholy church. And it's the Lord who cleans us up. It's the Lord who causes, we just need to keep in step with him. We just need to obey him, trust and obey. Just let the, the burden be light. He'll give you the strength to repent. He'll give you the strength to do what he's called you to do. You might in your mind go, there's no way I could leave that person. I can't do that. Okay. You know, but if the Lord's calling you to get out of that relationship, that's ungodly He's calling you to back away from these things or whatever it might be. He'll give you the strength to do it. And he promises to be with you. And then he promises to fill you and to use you, you know, but if we're fooled into thinking that God is, is going to take people and, and, and promote hypocrisy for extended periods of times. It's like, no, he's going to put us on the shelf. You know, his name is holy and he loves us too much. <laughs> Amen. It's a church. I just want to encourage you. You, you are, you're sweet and you're precious in his sight and he loves you very much. And if you've been on the shelf for a while, know that God is calling to you to, to cleanse you, just run to him and, and don't feel like you got to do a thousand things. Just come to him. He'll cleanse you. He'll take care of you. And he'll just give you the next step and you obey him. Amen. He's a big, awesome, mighty God, but he desires truth in the inward parts. Amen. So Lord, may we be those vessels this morning that are that are faithful, that persevere, that are holy, that are set apart. May we value your name and hold your name dear to our hearts and that the word Lord that we read may not conform to us, but may we conform to you. Give us eyes and ears and hearts that would glorify you this week. We know the next chapter says that then there's going to come perilous times where people are going to be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, disobedient. And so it's not as if the mission field is easy, but Lord, let us not be those people. If we've been saved by your grace, let us, let us walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've given us.
by your grace. So Lord, we give you our hearts this week and we ask that you'd be glorified in a big way that we would be used in a big way. Your name would be glorified. Someone would come to you this week through this church in your name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. If you need prayer up here.